Oh, hi. Welcome back to Overtime, Dribble's weekly podcast that explores the most interesting design news and gives you the tips you need to create your best work. I'm your host, Meg the Blob Lewis. And today we have a guest who you all know and love. I didn't kill him off. He's still alive. He's the John Stewart to my Trevor Noah. Overtime's <laughs> BFF and former host and new host of The Simple Bitch Show, it's Dan Cederholm. Hi, Dan. Hey, Meg. How are you doing? That was such an awesome <laughs> intro. My goodness. I'm excited. I'm so happy to be back on Overtime. This Good. is awesome. Good. Yes. So you co-founded Dribble, and you were the host of the Overtime podcast. What does it feel mm-hmm. like to have left? Well, it's interesting. I, it's a mix of emotions when I when I left. I think it was a, a time to to try something new. So when I when I actually retired from Dribble, uh, I realized, wow, I actually like podcasting. <laughs> Maybe I should continue to do it, and that's that's where the, the the new show came came about. And then, I mean, I was super happy when uh, when you came on board and took over. It's just awesome. Um, <laughs> Thank like you. A it's podcasting it's, powerhouse now. And it's, yeah, we're it's we're so doing cool. it. So I do imagine, like you do a lot. You have a lot of things. You have your design studio, Simple Bits. You have Adventure Supply Company. You have the Simple Bits show. You have client work. You've got a lot going on. And I imagine that co-founding Dribble and having this big, important job that was taking up most of your time was probably challenging for your brain because you're like me. You you seem to like to have a lot of things. So I'm sure that yeah. this new life of yours, having all these things and bouncing around between one thing to the next is really fulfilling for you. I hope. It looks like it is. Uh, you you nailed it. It's totally true. Definitely, my attention span is is limited, and and so that was tough to focus on one thing for so long, uh, or make it look like I was focusing <laughs> <laughs> on one thing for so long. And um, yeah, it's refreshing to to be able to go back and and actually attack different things all at once. And I love that. I think I thrive off off of little shorter wins. Right? It's tough. I mean, ha- like maintaining a product like one product for so long is it's a marathon and it's it's hard so yeah i totally am enjoying the new like pulling different interests all together again uh into different things you know video puppetry uh, oh the puppet yes explain the puppet for those of of us who don't know much about (laughs) the puppetry please go on i love puppets and i love the muppets i feel like it's it's part of my soul in a way but i i just happen to like I was like, I want to get a puppet made of myself. Uh, I'm not sure why. It didn't have like a grand plan or anything. It, it just something I wanted to do. And I found like this company actually is on Etsy, I think, that makes like high quality Muppet like puppets. And you can, you know, send them a photo or a video. I sent them a video actually. And they were like really wow. excited. They're like, wow, we were really excited to get a video because we could really <laughs> like nail the, the look of the puppet. And then, uh, and then I'm just trying to find uses, to, to, trying to find places to actually use it. Uh, but it, but it's cool because it opens up. Like, how do you, how do you shoot video? Like, I'm not a videographer. I don't, I don't know much about that. And so, learning like how to shoot um, a puppet and and like, it, I have mad respect for puppetry artists because it's very physically draining. Like, I'm not even sure if I can do it much longer. I think my <laughs> shoulder is giving out on me it's it's much more technical than i thought it would be but like i go into like anything with a puppet on tv or film or whatever with a newfound respect like for how it's done it's i amazing. bet yeah my goodness so Woo. in when it comes to podcasting so what you're 
do if you remember, what year was it when you started podcasting? Oh gosh. Well, how many years was, ago was this? Yeah, it was uh well, whenever the first overtime episode mm-hmm. was, really, that was it. I mean, that that was like uh probably three years ago or so, three or four has, years ago, maybe. And, and yeah, now, not long, not long at all. With your new podcast, has has anything changed with podcasting or with yourself that has influenced the way that you approach the new podcast hmm. that maybe you didn't get to do with overtime back in the day? Oh, that's interesting. Technically, no. I think here's the thing is like I selfishly just love talking to other creative people. And that was like one of the reasons I, I wanted to start it with overtime. It was it was almost like selfishly being able to learn from people and and get them, uh, you know, hey, I want to talk to this person for an hour about their work and their story and how they how they do it so that I can learn from it. And then, you know, the the benefit there is that everyone can kind of listen and hopefully get something out of it too. I kind of missed that I think when I left Dribble and and I was like let's well, I just want to have conversations again with people. And I think it was a little bit freeing in that starting something new from scratch again was like I could change the format if I want. It's just a little bit looser, I think, maybe, and a little bit more uh, casual, I guess you could say. Um, exactly. And, yeah. and I think the nice thing is that you can mix in yourself a lot more with this new podcast. It can be yeah. hosted by a puppet now, <laughs> and it can be a total reflection exactly. of who you are, which I love. And it totally yeah. is. Oh, thanks, Meg. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Take your career to the next level by showing your prospective clients just how awesome you are by making your personal website with a personalized domain name. Having a personalized domain name will make you stand out of the crowd and let your audience and clients recognize your brand. So whether you decide on yourname.me or use a well-known alias like uh, bingbong.me, .me domain is uniquely positioned to help you create a captivating online persona that's a direct reflection of you. .me is trusted by almost a million people and businesses worldwide, including including some pretty amazing designers. So don't you think it's time for you to join them? Let's get into the news today. Okay, yeah. so the first news story that I want to talk to you about is one that maybe you'll know more about than I do. Hopefully, if we both don't know about it, then we'll just shrug and move on. Uh, so a Medium article was published recently by writer Jabal Nichols, where he asks a very important question because he works on Facebook. He works at Facebook on a team, and the engineers on his team talk to users about one time a week, and then they make changes based on what users want. And so Jamal's asking the question of, if engineers talk to users, do we still need designers at all? And that question blew my mind, and I had an existential crisis, and... Jamal kind of talks himself through it and and gives some information throughout the article, and I'll let everybody read that. But I just want to hear your thoughts from you on this topic because my mind is blown and I'm confused. Yeah, it's – I mean, the title alone is very uh, intriguing, right? It's like I saw – when you sent it over, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, wait, what? Are we all out of jobs? What are we? (laughs) What does it all mean? What's what's happening here? What what does it mean? You know, he gets into some interesting things about – sort of the way um, building websites uh, and web apps really are are going. And it's gotten increasingly more complicated uh, as we go on. And um, he's talking about webmaster, the days of the webmaster where, you know, one person would be responsible for everything in a website. And I, I remember those days. I miss those days, actually. While one person was in charge of everything or responsible for, for everything, um, it, it just was so much less complex than it is now. And, and websites are no longer just websites. They're 
they're literally like software, complex pieces of software. And, and that's why we have teams that, you know, are very diverse with the different things that people have to worry about. I know I get like overwhelmed with that and I feel very behind on everything. Uh, I don't even know how to make a website anymore. <laughs> uh oh, I, I don't either. And Meg's like, all right, next topic. Okay. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting. You know I, mean? I, yeah. I I have this this crisis in my head all the time. I'm always grappling with the the fact that everything that essentially that we do as designers is a total construct. And what does it mean? Does it actually mean anything? And so, if somebody asks me a question like this, of Oh, if engineers are just directly communicating with users and users are requesting changes and engineers can make that change and users are satisfied, then what's the point? And I guess I guess to me, the thing that helps me sleep at night is I'm making engineers job easier by helping them to know what to do and to visualize what that looks like, because I think a lot of times they're brains aren't design focused and maybe they're not thinking about design at all and or maybe it hurts their brains to think about design and that's really the part that they don't want to have to focus on yeah oh absolutely and i think that i think in the end that was the point he was making is that it really takes all kinds to make something uh usable and you know enjoyable to you not not only like visually enjoyable but like there's always going to be a need for a designer to synthesize what the user is asking for and it's funny because the title of this this article is like scary right for a designer like whoa i'm a designer crap dude am i gonna be out of a job but actually it's really well well written as a defense for the fact that we do need designers it is absolutely and i think you know with the thought of design systems in general the fact that my view of design systems when i first heard about them was like why would we do that because then no we don't need to work anymore we don't need to design products anymore and then i realized that no design systems just free you up to have more time to work on the stuff you otherwise wouldn't have been able to have time to do and i think I think this argument is similar to where if engineers are talking to users and making changes, that just frees up your time from having to do those things and frees you up to be able to do other things that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise with the product. Totally. Just one more thing about this. I just realized he, he says something about Dribble and the idea of designers creating machines that people enjoy using gets lost in all of the Dribble visual nonsense you see everywhere. Great designers have a deep understanding of psychology, behavior, science, and human nature. Years of accumulated knowledge about best practices in addition to knowing the visual stuff. Oh, see, I like all of that. Well, I mean, the, 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 the knock on dribble is a little weird. But I think he, he's right in that it's basically design is not just about the visuals, right? It's about all the other things that go into that. The good news is designers are still, we're still in it. We still got a job. We still have jobs. Right? For now. For, for now. now. For now. Okay, so for this next news story, I want to talk about this funny product that I saw when somebody shared it on Twitter. So we all know that respirator masks are important, whether it's you're worried about air quality from fires in San Francisco or smog in L.A. And also, you know, if you're just sick and you're in a public space, it's good to wear one. Okay, so. Right, right. Respirator masks are important. We know this. And I guess that somebody at some point was like, you know, I, I have to keep pulling up my respirator mask every time I need to use my face ID. So they developed a product where you can upload your photo and they'll put that very specific section of your face onto your respirator mask so that you can wear it and you still look just like yourself. So your phone doesn't know the difference. And I love this product so, so much. It's so dystopian. 
Oh, it, it's, it's so it's good. Incredible. It's incredible. Did you see I, what they look like? Yeah. So I, I clicked on the link initially. I'm like, oh, cool. I didn't read anything. I just saw the mask and I said, oh, cool. That's if you're going to wear a mask for whatever reason, all the reasons you mentioned, um, why not make it look like the rest of your face? So, and I was like, that's so cool. And then I dug in I'm like, oh, it's so you can use face ID while you're still using it, which I have two thoughts. Like, hey, it's a little frightening that we've gotten to this point where you'd have a reason to wear a mask a lot and still need to unlock your phone or whatever. But I think it's pretty awesome. The pictures are amazing. And <laughs> they uh, are. I can see a real need for this. And it even says, like, is this a joke? And it's like, <laughs> yes, no, we're not sure. <laughs> you know, like, we're, so, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm hoping that someone does this with surgical masks because I would love to wake <laughs> up from amnesia to see a, <laughs> a, a kind surgeon. <laughs> wearing one i you know when i first looked at the website they have examples of what the faces look like not of what the masks look like not on a face and that's i thought it was a joke product saying you can choose from either of these two faces and i was (laughs) like these are the two types of people that exist and you get to choose between one of them (laughs) so in my head i was like oh what would the funniest what would i want to be the bottom half of my face and then yeah so it doesn't work for face id so much but right, right, right. Wouldn't if or maybe I could be, would. if, if the bottom half of my face could be some sort of crusty old white man with a goatee or something, I'd, I'd love it. Would you? So would you do it? Would you? Would you actually get one, or is it too embarrassing? I think, uh, yeah, I think why not? If I'm going to wear one, like I think that's pretty, pretty cool. I, I wouldn't worry about the face ID part so much, but like just being out in public and being like, hey, I'm obscuring part of my face, but just so you know. This is kind of what's under there. I think it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Yeah, you're here. just going for transparency about what people can expect out of your whole face. Yeah. And I might, tweak, nice. I might tweak little things that I don't like, you know, because I could. You know. <laughs> yeah, and there was Photoshop. And- yeah, exactly. <laughs> An important question to ask is for people that are doing this is do you are you smiling or are you not like are you looking stern what what are you going to do with your mouth imagine if it was a permanent huge smile the whole time yeah, like, horrifying like and then it is and, and no matter what someone said like hey dan i you know i heard you're not feeling well and you're just like <laughs> and you can and underneath it you could be in the worst mood you've ever been in but no one would know they just no one would ever know oh, so maybe yeah happy. he's happy wow. to be sick or you know afraid of of, of a virus or something i think it's brilliant wow. i love it. i think it's brilliant too the link to purchase is definitely in the show notes so if anybody wants to i don't have a promo code for you they're not a sponsor <laughs> <laughs> they should be. They should be now, actually. And also, it's called Resting Risk Face, which I think is amazing. Okay, so we all have a lot to learn from Dan because he does so much throughout his career, through working on massive client projects, whether it's co-founding Dribble, creating a line of physical goods, hosting podcasts. It's so much. But, Dan, I brought you on today because I'm really excited about your next project, you are self-publishing a book, and as someone who has also self-published a book, I have so many things I want to talk to you about, but I guess you're giving us a little bit of a sneak peek. So tell us as much as you can. Yeah. What is the book about? Yeah, so the book is about 20 things I learned about design, business, and community. That's the title. And um, it's a reflection of 
what I learned uh, co-founding Dribble and, and being a designer and uh, sort of going from being a, solely just doing client work into co-founding this this company that was a side project and then grew into this big company. And um, it, it was good because I, I had retired from Dribble. I, I was reflecting on like what I'd learned. So I wrote this article on Medium about about those topics and um, got a lot of good feedback on it. And um, it, it was like quick hits, like 20, 20 little things I've learned, which my attention span is perfect for that format. And um, decided to like, why not turn this into a book? And, and honestly, like, it's a it's a hardcover book. There, I, I put a lot of time into the aesthetics. It's almost like this mid century zine in a way. Yes, yeah, you know, right. Surged so, on that hardcover. Yeah, I'm yeah, hardcover. We got cloth, and there's it's two color offset printed, and there's like a little bookmark in it, and and uh, and then you know it, it was a learning experience. I love seeing something in your mind and then figuring out how to get there and. I think self-publishing was like another thing that I had not done before. Um, I had worked with other publishers in the past about, you know, mostly technical books. And this was a chance to be like, and having nobody really have input except for myself. And so I decided to do the little, little doodles in it, uh, which was new for me because I'm not much of an illustrator, but I said, well, hell, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just start scratching stuff and see what happens. And uh, I, I'm really happy with the way it turned out because it's, it was less academic, an academic exercise for me. Like, I think books can be a little intimidating in a way. Like, oh, I can't write a book because I don't know, I'm not an expert on this topic. Where I think you don't have to be an expert. You can share your, your particular experience about something and, um, and people can get stuff out of that. Yep, Exactly. And you're an expert on you, and you know what you've experienced. So I think that that's ah. that's a great sort of angle to come at that from, for sure. So whenever yeah. you decided to self-publish, did you use an editor at all, or did you edit your, it yourself? So I, I I used a copy editor at the very end. Okay. So I kind of kind of did the whole thing. Found a great copy editor, uh, Sally Kerrigan. She was recommended um, from my friends at Book a Book Apart, who we've worked with in the past, and uh, she was fantastic. And she combed through the entire thing and found all sorts of, uh, things wrong. And, and, uh, uh, and that's something I remember from writing books in the past is that editors are incredible and they're, <laughs> uh, they make you sound better than you really are. And, and, uh, it's important to have, you know, that feedback and someone to uh, extra eyes on it all and all that. But other than that, yeah, I just sort of did the rest of it myself. So, there could be other things wrong with it, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, the nice thing about the internet is that they'll tell you. <laughs> exactly. Right. And then it's printed. So that's scary, right? And you've, yeah, exactly. you've published books, self-published books too, which, geez, I need to, I have all sorts of things I could ask you about. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of self-publishing because, again, I didn't have to wait for somebody else's permission. I didn't work with an, somebody or a publisher with an editor that needed me to skew my voice to target their audience or their voice, which I loved. I was able to write it in my own style, which I really enjoyed and had fun doing. It made writing fun. Um, But I also loved the fact that it was all in my control. And when it came to financials, I was able to work it out in a way where I 
had all the design files ready and I picked a publisher that was ready to print and they would be able to turn the books around in like three or four days. And wow. so what I did oh, is I put the book up on my website, made mock-ups so it looked like it was real. And I just said that the books would ship out on a very specific date. That was the next week. And so I took all those pre-orders and used that to pay for the <laughs> publishing That's of the brilliant. actual books. Brilliant. Yeah. And so it cost no money for me except for my time, which I really wow. enjoyed. And that was all thanks to self-publishing. But also I got to keep all the money, which I oh. enjoyed, <laughs> still Absolutely. enjoy to this day. Absolutely. Well, see, that's brilliant about the the pre-orders and being able to turn around that quick. That's uh, it's amazing. But you're right. I mean, the money is a huge part. Uh, look, I mean, the first few books I wrote years ago, years and years ago, you know, typical royalty situation with, with the publisher, you know, you're talking like 11% or something. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, you don't do it to make money, obviously, but it's, it's really uh, sad. I, I struggled with the idea because I really wanted a publisher because I wanted somebody to tell me that I was valid, <laughs> that my yeah. idea was good and they yeah. believed in me and they wanted yeah. to make it real. Yeah. And I liked that idea about having a publisher. So I pitched it to a few and no one even responded. Um, (laughs) so that was enough, uh, rejection for me to, uh, I have this, whenever I get rejected, I have this wonderful attitude that I think works in my favor where I'm like, I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to show them. And that was really helpful because I did, I published it myself. I made it happen all my own. And then I probably certainly have made a lot more money off of it than if I had worked with a publisher, but I still, you know, in the back of my head, wish that someone would just believe in my ideas and allow me, allow themselves to make it for me. But maybe that'll happen someday. Not with this book though. (laughs) I I love that though. You're right. I hope that that's eroding, you know, as we go on here and you're seeing more and more people self-publishing. And um, I think one of the things that I always thought about when I first started writing, I think a publisher can help if you don't have an audience already. Right. Like, absolutely. uh, So, you know, if you're self-publishing, you know, it's a little bit of a risk, but I think as the web and just, personal brands have evolved like self-publishing becomes even more and more um viable and and also like i i think the formats of books have evolved as well and i like we're seeing more self-publishing with like zines you know and and just like it doesn't have to be like a book doesn't have to be um something that you know you you it's not like a college course it's it can be much more than that um, and they always have been, but I mean, in, in within the design sort of uh, education space or whatever, I, I feel like there's just, there's so much more room for creativity there with books that it's exciting. It's cool. It's, you know, and it's different if you're used to creating stuff digitally with, with a little less risk, it's kind of, it's kind of exciting to be like, all right, I'm going to make this thing. It's going to be done. And then that's it. If there's mistakes in it, well, Oh, well. Exactly. I did mine without an editor or copywriter at all. Oh, <laughs> nice. Oh, my gosh. And uh, I showed it to a bunch of friends. I had a friend that was in, that is an editor, and I was like, can you look this over? I'm trying to print it by Monday. And she was like, I'll try. Uh, she got like <laughs> maybe an, an 11th through the book by Monday. And so that first part is beautifully edited. And then I just <laughs> I was like, well, the Internet will tell me where my mistakes are. And then no oh. one said anything 
which was very unhelpful, but that's not on them anyway. Um, (laughs) So then after I was just so embarrassed about the potential typos, I couldn't find any, but I knew they were in there. I just knew there were mistakes. And so eventually I got a copywriter, a copywriting editor and uh, came out with an addition to, and there was, thank God, there was nothing major that I was really embarrassed about. So that's good. But that's amazing. So you you do what you can, because at the beginning I I didn't have the money to afford an editor. So I couldn't, I couldn't pay for it. So I just needed to make this book happen on zero dollars. And it, I did. It and worked. you did it. See, that's amazing, <laughs> though. And I, I, that's so inspiring. I hope people understand that you that you can do it yourself. That's something you, you totally do. you totally can. You and as can. designers, it's nice because we have the the necessary skill set of being able to lay out the yeah. book and choose exactly. all the things. And, and that's really fun too. And so it's really, we have a lot of the tools that we need as designers. We yeah. have to do so much writing anyway, mm-hmm. just as part of our job. So we really, we're set up for success more so than yeah, most people. Totally. Right. If you think about it, like, yeah, writing is, is a huge part of design typography, right? Like layout, uh, every like the marketing of it, you know, um, absolutely. All of that is is in our toolbox. So like, get out, and make books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, book. Dan, can you say is your book out yet? When do, yeah. when does it come out? Yeah. So it's I've got a few advanced copies here that uh, so it's it's going to be out probably uh, like in three or four weeks. Literally, all the books are on a boat from Europe. Uh, coming over here, so it takes. Wow, like that's three, so nice for them. Or, that was really nice for you to pay for them to be on a boat. So hopefully, in uh, let's see, what's it's February? I'd say the end of March would be official release for it, um, and I'm excited. It's it's very you know, exciting. Yeah, it's fun. It's like I, also I just like making this stuff, and like if if someone else likes it, that's bonus, and uh, that's kind of been my mo for a long time now. Just. Uh, Try not to overthink uh, how it's going to be received and just kind of go with your gut and make it and see what people think. Um, move on to the next thing. That's beautiful and so true. Thank you so much, Dan, for being here today. We love you so much and you're welcome back anytime. Whoa, thank you. Is there so anything much. else you'd like to promote? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'd like to promote voting. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I thank you so much for having me for having me back and I'm so happy that you're hosting overtime and it, it lives on and you're, I just love it. I love the new format. It's, it's like, I don't know how you do it on that schedule, but I love that it comes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so, it's so good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Where can we find you on the internet these days? Yeah. So on the internet, uh, simplebits.com is my uh, website. That's, rarely updated but uh so simple bits on twitter and in simple bits on instagram and then a lot of my time now is adventure supply company which is adventure.co uh misspelled uh, so uh, hopefully the show notes will help there but um yeah that's uh i've just been making physical products and um sort of giving that a whirl too and learning a bunch of things about manufacturing and shipping and just trying some new things and seeing how it works but that's where you can find me and uh and then the simple bit show the which uh is conversations with other creative people and um a little bit of puppet (laughs) (laughs) yes a little bit of puppet is all we need in the world that's all you need Mm.
Well, that's it for this week's episode of Overtime. Let's continue the conversation on the internet with a hashtag, Dribble Overtime. And if you love this episode, you know what to do. Do the likes and the subscribing, whatever. I I don't know. Whatever you want to do. And don't forget to tweet or tag me on the internet. I'm at darn good with four O's. Bye. Hear me next week. 